Hi, I'm Jay. And I'm Rahaf. And this is Banterful, where we get together and have some much needed conversation and banter about relevant topics of the day. Today, we are going to dig into a question on almost everybody's mind. Will the influencer economy survive? Welcome. Thank you for listening. So we want to talk about influencers and the influencer ecosystem and the influencer economy. But to start, how do we actually define influencers? I think there's like a spectrum, right? On one end, you have your high-end, classic, old-school celebrities. And then it goes all the way down to, you know, the the Instagram celebrities, social media celebrities, uh, and the people who generate an income and a livelihood just from their social media content through um, sponsorships and through advertisements and through brand deals, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they are a, a wide and varied ecosystem that exists in almost every single industry from finance to beauty and makeup to fitness to entertainment. But the one thing that they all have in common is that right now everybody's business has come to a sort of temporarily stand a temporary standstill. And more, the business as usual activities that many of these influencers depended on to earn a living are now being called into question as to whether or not they're needed, whether or not they're out of touch, whether or not they're tone deaf, and whether or not they will be able to survive a global pandemic where many people are struggling to pay rent, to find work, to maintain work, and to keep their sanity. So Jay, what, off the top of your head, what do you feel or or have you had any experiences with influencers, you know, being tone deaf or doing something maybe a bit silly during your pandemic experience? Yeah. And actually for listeners who listened to our first episode around whether 5G caused coronavirus, and just as a reminder, the answer is no. But if you listen to that episode, you may remember we were talking about Woody Harrelson being one of the celebrities who was repeating this information. And we did get a little bit into the question around this because celebrities are just people like everybody else and they are scared and they are worried about how this is going to affect their health and their loved ones. And they're also bored and stuck at home. And so they're not necessarily behaving in the most intelligent public facing way that they could be right now. They're behaving like people who are scared during a global pandemic. And so we've seen a bunch of celebrities post things which were meant to be either funny or encouraging or just their thoughts on the, on the current state of the world and have had a bit of a backlash. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres was filming one of her episodes. I think it may even have been her first episode from home. And she started off in her introduction and said, one thing that I've learned from being in quarantine is that people, this is like being in jail is what it is. <laughs> it's mostly because I've been wearing the same clothes for 10 days and everyone in here is gay. Now, it's kind of a funny joke, except that Ellen is surviving this quarantine in her massive, beautiful mansion up in the hills with her pools and everything else. And it is really not at all like being in jail when everybody else in the world is locked in their homes, which are much more like jail than hers and Portia de Rossi's. So a little bit tone deaf in the joke, still a bit funny when taken, you know, in the appropriate context. 
And we've seen similar backlashes. Arnold Schwarzenegger posted a Corona quarantine video from his hot tub while he was smoking a cigar. It was also seen as quite uh, out of touch with the real world and the experience that most people are having. So yeah, I think there's a disconnect here and it's an interesting one because normally what we love about celebrities is that they don't lead the same lives that we do and they live in beautiful mansions and hot tubs and traveling the world and those sorts of things. But now we're all stuck at home and it seems much less aspirational. So that that's kind of a, a good that's a kind of a good point, because, OK, let's give some of these people the benefit of the doubt in terms of like no ill will or no ill intent. And let's instead talk about like the dollars and cents of this. Let's talk about a business model where many people make a living off of, you know, spawn con like sponsored content brand deals, um, advertisements, and the lifestyle that we're being sold for many influencers is this aspirational lifestyle where we're getting to see them travel to luxurious locations and stay at five-star resorts and they're in business class lounges and they're, you know, using and, um, you know, like a $300 face serum or whatever it is that they're recommending. But generally speaking, there's always been this hyper curated aspirational feel, which is like, oh, you know, look how great my life is. It's all about, you know, luxury um, for, for many of the lifestyle. Let's let's just start with the lifestyle influencers. Uh, I kind of think like, I wonder how that business is going to sustain itself over a, not only the course of the current situation we find ourselves in, but the recovery that we're going to need to have. I mean, I was reading some, uh, a couple of articles that were, I mean, some of them were quite dark and they were predicting that there's going to be a potential like decade required to recover from the impacts of this. And so if that's the context that we're all going to be living in, if consumers are going to be maybe more nervous and they're not going to want to travel as much, or they're not going to want to go to restaurants as much, like, are we still going to want to see pictures uh, people living these glamorous lifestyles, or will that hit a bit differently because we're we're entering a new normal? Yeah, and certainly a lot of the products that they are buying and that they're well, so that the the celebrities are promoting are, I would say, non essential goods, as you said, super high end luxury skincare products, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. And now you've got millions of unemployed people in the U.S. Particularly, you know, we're seeing crazy numbers where 22 million people in the last four weeks have filed for unemployment, things that have never been seen before uh, in terms of the numbers of people. How many of them are sitting around during quarantine and thinking, I might go buy some super high-end luxury skincare products, right? It's not going to put food on their table. So not only are they maybe not um, interested in that content at the moment, but also the sales that it once drove aren't going to be there, which means the companies that were paying those influencers aren't going to be paying them anymore because there's nobody buying the products. So that entire piece of luxury of the non-essential goods starts to die off. Now we may see other companies step into that void and start paying influencers. Maybe it's just a different set of products. If you for example, made something that people might find really useful during the quarantine, maybe it's some entertainment products or something like that, you might now step into what used to be about luxury skincare and start paying celebrity influencers to post about your product instead. Ooh, I mean, one, how am I going to get a flat stomach without my flat tummy tea if I can't access that anymore through my favorite influencer? Um, right. 
that was a joke. It's a horrible product. Don't buy it. But uh, <laughs> what was interesting is what you said. I wonder if the ecosystem will actually itself shift and then you'll start to see a whole new level of influencers, maybe ones that embody different values, right? If we're entering, say, just very broad strokes from an age where it was all about like flexing, right? Flexing. And it was all about showing what you have and all of that stuff. If we're entering a more like modest frugal era. I wonder if we'll start to see the rise of like penny pinching influencers and influencers that are making right. more stuff at home and influencers that are growing their own food. I mean, homesteading, which is a whole subculture on YouTube, which is all about this idea of, you know, being resilient, uh, being um, resilient and being able to grow your own food and, and, and sort of be as independent as possible. Like that has been present for a long time, but maybe now they'll get their moment where more and more people faced by these financial or economic constraints will turn and will say, okay, well, I might need to do things differently. Like I know that for myself, I've been looking and really getting into um, like growing vegetables and what vegetables I can grow. And that has set me down a rabbit hole of, of people, of accounts I've never seen that have tens of thousands of subscribers that specialize in like, say, apartment gardens or, or, or really easy right. plant gardens or vegetable growing at home. So maybe it'll just shift and it'll be more about like the do-it-yourself mentality. But I don't know what products right. like. It'll be interesting to see what product. Will, will it be sponsored by like organic compost company or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Ra rabbit hole is a funny expression when you're talking about gardening at home. <laughs> Tagline for that compost company. Hashtag ad. Hashtag <laughs> it's the shit. <laughs> it's the shit. Um, yeah, you know, and like there was a time I remember the first time I stumbled across rich kids of Instagram or RKOI for those of you who haven't come across it before it's a fun hashtag if you're looking for some pretty gratuitous uh ridiculous spoiled children whose lives basically evolve supercars private jets and crazy shopping sprees and that tag is all about showing off how much you have and I wonder whether things like that are, you know, as you just said, like that was, that was, I guess people were kind of laughing at it and making fun of it, but at the same time, it was a little bit aspirational. And now maybe as the economy shifts hardcore into re recession and, and possibly depression, we're going to end up at a different aspirational piece. And there are emerging sort of, you know, healthcare workers as heroes element to this. Maybe they become some of the influencers Dr. Fauci in the U.S., for example, mm. I think at this point, I, I I doubt that he would start endorsing products on Instagram, <laughs> but he he would probably carry a lot of weight in that regard. I wonder, and here's the thing, BuzzFeed had an article that had examples of people quarantine flexing on TikTok. And as I kind of looked at their examples, I found myself in, in two minds on it because on one hand – like you're so lucky. It was people that had like, you know, gigantic pools with water slides that were able to do full carnivals in their basement, you know, like it was very much like a, a very unattainable, unrealistic quarantine example. But the flip side of it was I was in pain, right? And I'm getting, maybe if you're getting tired of everyone just being in their apartment and doing their own thing, it is kind of nice to just be entertained by seeing just other people having a very different experience. So maybe there still will be a an appetite for this. Like, is it all bad? Or, or are there some circumstances where it's okay to say quarantine flex? Hey, there, there's a human nature element to all of this. 
there's an aspirational piece of keeping up with the Joneses. I know a lot of people who are feeling pressure that in this time off, they should be learning new skills or they should be developing hobbies or they should be getting a you know perfect body because they're working out all the time because they have the time or cooking healthy. And I think that kind of pressure is really hard on people. Mm, so you're saying like we need to so, be careful not to absorb unnecessarily harmful like productivity ideologies because it's like that might be like you might have the ability to do that. I might have the ability to grow a vegetable garden, but like just because you don't, you shouldn't feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Well, and also I'm not sure how many of these people are really doing those things that they posted about, right? Like I might put up a post and say, yeah, I've decided to use this time off to learn a new skill. I'm going to go and pick up some, you know, I'm, I'm going to go learn to play piano or whatever. That doesn't mean I actually went to learn to play piano. But if that's the only post that you saw, then you might say, oh, wow, everybody else is using this time off to go and learn new skills. I should go and, you know, learn a new skill. And now you're feeling this pressure. And I think in a way, it's almost like what you wrote about in, in Hustle and Float. There's a sort of... Um, you know, productivity pressure that everybody else is being super productive. So I better do that as well. And maybe they're not actually being super productive. Either. Do you think that as the influencer economy grew more advanced and more evolved and more corporatized, I would say, that they sort of dragged the balance, like we all felt that balance and that shift? Because you're talking about, I'm assuming we've, we've shifted temporarily in a very interesting way where we're talking about non-influencers now. We're talking about people that you follow, your friends. But even though like that we're all like non-influencers, we're all sort of reacting to um, the standards that are being set in these very hyper-curated environments, right? So if everyone's baking bread or everyone is making that foam, that what is it, Delgona, Delgo, whatever, that Del, that weird foam coffee that we finally tried to make yesterday and it was so gross. Um, it's just... I, I don't know anything about this. You don't this. know anything about this? I, new, this, this one I have new trend. Seen, the new trend is... Tell me about coffee okay, There's foam. this... I, God, I, I never can... I can never remember what it's called. I think, hold on, let me look it up. I think it's called Dalgona Coffee. Dalgona, D-A-L-G-O-N-A -A Coffee. And it's, you take instant coffee and sugar and water and you like, um, you whip it until it becomes this like, uh, like foamy, like a foamy mousse almost. And then you put it on top uh, of an ice cube and then you put like some milk on it. You put you know, the foam sits on top of a glass of milk. So like the we tried it because I saw it on every single, it just like took over my feed for a while and like BuzzFeed did a piece on it and The Cut did a piece on it. And so we're bored at home. We're like, sure, we're going to try it. The foam itself was okay, but it was like a giant glass of milk. Like that was just kind of, I don't know. I thought the whole thing was so <laughs> disgusting. I took a picture and I was like, this is garbage. This is a garbage drink. I hated it. But my point is, is as I'm telling you the story, I realized that I've been sub subliminally influenced because I kept seeing this photo of this coffee pop up like over and over and over and over again. And then finally, I guess, succumbed to it and was like, okay, I've been influenced. And, you know, I didn't even like I'm realizing the power of of internet influence as I'm telling you the story. But, you know, it's it's this idea that now all of, you know, say you see me post that coffee, am I pressuring you? And is influence, if you remove the influencer part, how are we influencing each other just like as an ecosystem, as like a community, as friends, as family groups, or as like extended groups of people? Like how are we influencing each other? And are you making 
other people feel bad or should you feel bad? Like, I don't know. I just think it's so interesting because all we do right now for most people, most people just I've been talking to said they've had more time than usual that they've been using to peruse social media. Right. Well, because <clears throat> they're stuck at home and they're bored, the same as the celebrities who are, are maybe posting the wrong things. But yeah, I mean, in a way, we've kind of taken life down to a lower common denominator. We all the things that we used to do that we can't really afford to do anymore because we can't because of the health side. But it also has reduced everybody to basically having this. Did you just did you just come up with did you just come up with the tagline for 2020? Because I'm pretty sure you just did. Life, the lowest, life common at the lowest common denominator. That's 2020. That's what it is. You nailed it. There you go. Done. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I and when I and and in a way that you know we're all desperate for shared human experiences which i think everybody always is but that's why we go and experience things together as a group it's why you have uh, you know a baseball game with 40,000 people in the stands or you go to a concert part of that is experiencing that along with your fellow humans so now we're limited to being stuck at home with a very small group of people we still crave that shared human experience Maybe that's part of why we end up making sourdough bread or we end up making crazy coffee mm -hmm. foam because we want to be part of that shared experience, even if we're stuck at home and we can't. But do what it were together. you saying earlier? I want you to dig in a bit more about like if you were doing it, but you were like faking it. Because it's one thing to actually do it as a way to participate in these trends. Like we actually made the foam coffee. But what about somebody that says, oh, like I worked out, but then like they, they didn't? How, how do we feel about that? Yeah, well, I don't know that that's different than at other times. If you post a picture of yourself doing yoga and you say, wake up every morning at 6 a.m. to do yoga and you've done yoga exactly once in your life and you have a picture <laughs> of it, it's the same thing as, you know, posting a picture of sourdough bread and saying, you know, made some sourdough bread. Maybe that's not even your picture. Maybe you just took it off of somebody else's feed or you found a picture of sourdough bread online and you posted it. In the end, it's making you look, first of all, you know, like you're very trendy and, and want to take part in these things, but also you're, <laughs> you're doing it, excuse me, from a fake place. I remember seeing a great um, photo uh, series online and I, I haven't been able to find it again. This was maybe a few years ago, but it was very cleverly set up as a square frame inside of which you could see a very lifestyle worthy Instagram photo, but you could also see the chaos around the mm. square frame. So you had somebody's immaculately, immaculately decorated living room within the square frame and outside of it, it looked like everybody else's living room at home. There was <laughs> stuff everywhere. It wasn't clean, you know, but they had carefully cleaned up and staged this perfect square. And that's kind of the point of a lot of these posts. It ends up being a very curated editorial view of somebody's life within the square, the rest of it around it, looks like mm. everybody else. And we only see what's in the square. So now the part that we're seeing of everybody else's life is just the part that they've curated and editorialized. How many times did they take that selfie to get exactly the right photo that looks completely uh, unstaged and looks like it was very in the moment, but actually was the result of 70 photos that they took. Um, I remember uh, maybe this was probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, my wife, Mel, and I were uh, 
were at a hotel. We were at the hotel pool and we had been relaxing all day and we were watching this group of girls that were probably, actually, I think one of them had just had her 18th or 19th birthday. I think that's what they were talking about. They sat there for three hours taking selfies and they were all taking their own selfies. So it was three hours of this group of girls taking selfies of themselves, the same picture over and over and over again with slightly different positions of their heads, different hair flip, different, you know, whatever. They would eventually get a photo that they liked and then they would show it to their friends. And if the friends liked the photo, then they would post it to their feed. And so out of this three hours of taking pictures, there was, I don't know, they might all have posted one photo that was the perfect capture of this experience. In the end, they had no experience of sitting by the pool at this hotel because their entire experience was taking selfies to capture the experience. And, and I don't see why that behavior stops because we're all in quarantine. So now you, you, you saw that it was trendy to take, you know, bake sourdough or whatever you bake the bread and then you spend an hour trying to capture the perfect photo of your experience of baking sourdough bread. So you can post it to your feed and be part of the experience of baking that from home. But you didn't have the experience of baking sourdough. You staged a social media. Linking together like like a couple of really interesting behavioral shifts that we're seeing. And the first, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, so I'm going to repeat back sort of what I heard. The first is that I think what's been interesting is that social media, when it started, was all about like us, right? The average people just living our normal lives. And we had this, this expectation, like subconsciously, that it was very much a reflection of reality. If you think about early social media, before it was so hyper curated and staged, before there was like a look, right? Before certain feeds had a look and, 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 a, and a style. And then I don't think we've ever sort of reconciled the fact that it's no longer that authentic experience of regular people. Now it's become so hyper curated, which I think is really interesting because it was built on this idea of like media by us for us. And instead it's media, you know, by us, but like for who are we doing all of this? And the second thing is, is this evolution of what you talked about, about like curating uh, sake of social media instead of being present. And I think about this all the time, like at concerts, when I go to concerts, it's like my biggest pet peeve. Okay, if you're going to take a clip of a, like a 10 second video of the singer on stage, like fine, we all do it. No shame. Okay. But there are people who have their phone up for the entire concert. And uh, my husband, Jesse and I, we always talk about this like wasted footage and like how much of that footage just never gets seen again. So you're, you're going to record a, a two hour concert through your phone and you've never once put your phone down. So even though you're physically there, you're still experiencing it through the device and through the lens of that. And that makes me think of Bo Burnham, uh, who is probably one of my top five favorite comedians um, of all time because he's just so smart. And he has his latest, his last uh, Netflix special is called Make Happy. And he has this bit and he says, and I always think about this, he says, social media is the market's response to a generation's need to perform. And so what could be more satisfying than you than you being the audience of your own life at the end of the day, scrolling through your own feed, like being so proud of this like curated feed that you've created? And he said, the market said, you want to perform here, perform everything for everyone all the time. But it's like, it's like, I wonder if we're really just present for ourselves 
right? And like, we're just, are we doing this for ourselves? Are we doing this for other people? Because right. if you're faking pictures of sourdough bread or of, of doing yoga, are you then like, that's not really about other people. To me, that's an indication that you lacking in some way, like that you're not aligned with who you think you should be. So I don't know. I just find it. It's like, it's, we're evolving where everything is so curated that uh, the platform that was supposed to be really authentic has now become probably the least authentic place. Yeah, that piece I absolutely agree with. We started off with when early social media days, it really was very authentic and, and probably a lot more boring. I remember a lot of posts like, hey, I had a sandwich for lunch. And, you know, yeah. like very true, not very interesting, right? So, yes, I think that from that aspect, absolutely, it has become, it has gone from this authentic, I want to connect with people and share parts of my life and find people with shared interests and expand my horizons to, I want to show off the life that I have and in a way make other people jealous. And, and, and it, because of the currency of likes, it has, it created a score mechanism. There was a way to score whether the activity you were doing was approved enough by other people that it gave you mm. more likes. And so you started to optimize, we've talked in the past on, on the podcast about how algorithms that were optimized for showing ads to people end up rewarding our maybe more vile base human natures because those are the ones that drive engagement and get more eyeballs. You optimize your life if you care about likes on, on let's say, Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you end up optimizing your life for the behaviors that drive likes from other people. So that scoring mechanism has created a device through which we change the way we live our lives to drive more of those points. And there's, a, there's research out there that suggests that we get a little serotonin hit whenever we see that like counter go up and that is highly addictive for our brains, which is why we optimize our behaviors around getting more of them. I think whether that's true or not at a sort of neurotransmitter level, but it's still, it, it, it's that need to fit in. It's that need to be liked. And all of that is, is kind of wrapped up in this conversation that we're having. The, the influencers have the same need. In their case, it's maybe tied more to economic benefit. So for them, as the number of likes goes up, the likelihood that they can get paid more goes up as well. The number of followers mm. goes up. It's a direct translation to what they can charge for a post for a sponsored content, right? Um, and you know, if you're a, a true celebrity, like a Hollywood celebrity, it maybe ties directly to your next payday for being in a movie. Uh, I know from the book publishing world, and perhaps you do as well, because we've published a book together, but you also publish <laughs> books otherwise. These days, if you want to write a book, one of the first questions that publishers are going to ask you before they sign on is, what's your platform? And what they mean mm -hmm. by that is, how many people are going to see this content when you start posting it on Twitter or Instagram or wherever else? And that directly translates to book sales. If you've got you know, half a million followers and you post, hey, my book's out, a whole bunch of them are going to go and buy it. So they don't really care anymore about whether the book is good or not. What they care about is how many people are going to buy this because you post about it online, which means every like and follower as an author directly translates to a bigger potential payday or the likelihood that a publisher is going to pick up your book and, and actually publish it. Hmm. And that should be a question that we dive into another episode about IB because I know we're, we're running 
a bit, um, we're running out of time, but the, I, I love this idea because it always makes me think, well, how has that decision, the need to have an audience, how has that influenced the content that has made it and how many really great ideas have not gotten the platform that they needed? Because now we're almost like it's, we're self-selecting for people that have platforms. But if the entire influencer ecosystem is built on a set of values that prioritize certain things over others, then that will also reflect in the content that passes the gatekeepers. Right. We should dive into that at some other time because that would be really, really interesting because you see it also on, you know, on platforms like YouTube where when you have these external constraints like, oh, we're going to we're going to let you put an extra ad in your video if it's over 10 minutes, then suddenly you have videos that are 10 minutes and one second. You have an entire micro genre right. that erupts as a response to this market constraint. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe this should be like a two-parter and like we'll we'll pick up the conversation sort of next time for part two because that from a creative content perspective is so interesting. But uh, but yeah, I think I think a good way to end would be to ask you if you have any predictions for the next, let's say, three months on the influencer economy. Well, uh, so I, I, I like predictions that are guaranteed to come true because they make you look smart. I guarantee more <laughs> celebrities are going to post stupid content because they are stuck at home and can't, you know, maybe don't even have access to the advisors who normally are advising them or who have suddenly had to start managing their own social media platforms and don't have the filter in place that they normally have. And really all it's revealing is that they are humans just like everybody else. And they also have the same bad judgment at times that everybody else does. They just are under a much larger magnifying glass when it comes to, you know, to whether they are valuable contributors to the world or not. So guaranteed, we are going to see more stupid posts from people uh, in a very public forum. Uh, I do okay. think we're going to start to see some interesting shifts. Maybe we will start to see some new influencers emerge who at other times wouldn't have been influencers, but will now because they are... Um, they are doing things that are much more relevant to our times. Maybe, as you said, we'll see more homesteaders or preppers who that's sort of a, another variation of homesteading. The people who have been prepping for Armageddon and have bomb shelters and all kinds of things like that. Maybe we'll start to see, you know, more content coming out from folks like that about how to to survive through these times. I think we've seen um, people emerge who are making really funny memes and, and jokes about being stuck at home that are resonating with everybody because we have the same experience. We'll see more mm -hmm. of that emerge. Uh, I don't know whether those are influencers or whether you just got lucky with a good meme and you know then you disappear and nobody knows who you were afterwards. But I would expect humanity reacts to things by mocking it and making fun of it. So we'll certainly see more of that. <laughs> the longer this goes, the sooner we'll get to stand up comedians doing bits about quarantine from their homes. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that as a, as a future content trend. What do you think, Ralph? What are your projections? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to just add on to that and just say, I predict in the next, maybe we should revisit this in the next 90 days. In the next 90 days, I predict that we're going to have like one, at least one um, quarantine influencer scandal. So there's going to be somebody that's doing something that's going to be very like quarantine content, let's just say, maybe like a homesteader or like a make your own mask person or, you know, whatever, that's going to actually be revealed to have some sort of like inappropriate corporate sponsorship or that they're actually, you know, not doing the thing that they said that they were doing or that they're being exposed to do something else. So I'm really interested in seeing how the quarantine influence little micro segment grows and also if it will have staying power 
once hopefully, you know, we shift into whatever the next stage of the new normal is, or whether or not this is going to be a micro segment that exists until we have, say, a vaccine or treatments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big scandals are coming for sure. That that is that is one very predictable thing about humanity. And we will be right here to talk about them when they absolutely. do. Absolutely. Thank you, Rahaf. As always, great bantering with you. I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.